Well, good evening, Cedar Street Baptist Church. It is great to be back in God's house with God's people, getting ready to open up God's Word. Amen? It's already been a great day of worship here in God's house. I'll always remember today is the day that we had an opportunity to dedicate my baby girl, and I pray that I'll hold up my end of the bargain if you'll help me to do that, to uh, raise her in the admonition of the Lord. It's very important to me, and I'm so grateful that you would stand by my side in that. Um, Just very excited. Here tonight, uh, on Sunday night, it's been a great pleasure since the beginning of 2017 to kind of walk with all of you through this idea of what is the Bible. Okay, we call that the doctrine of Scripture. What is the Bible? When we hold this book in our hand, we need to know what it is. And so since the very beginning of the year, I know some of you may be joining us for the first time. Others have kind of come and gone. So just to catch you up very quickly, we've talked about uh, the origin of Scripture. We looked at Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, and we talked about what it means to be divinely inspired of God. Okay, then we talked about the purpose of Scripture, and we looked at Psalm 19, and we said that the purpose is that God is revealing Himself to the world. And we talked about in that beautiful psalm, there's two different ways in which God's revealed Himself. There's what's called natural or general revelation, which is nature. You walk around outside and you see the stars in the sky and the, the moon and the trees and the birds, and you say, somebody had to create this. But nature only tells us that a God exists. We can't know specifically who God is, what His heart is until we get to special revelation. And special revelation is God's Word. God's Word made flesh is Jesus Christ. God's Word written is the Holy Bible. Then we get to the nature of Scripture. We looked at that in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. And we talked about the nature of Scripture as being living and active. That it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That it pierces us. That it, it lays us bare. It shows us the, the truth of our hearts. So it makes the Bible different than every other book that's ever been written. It's living, it's active, it is God's fresh breath. And then last week we talked about the blessing of Scripture. And we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And we also talked about how the Holy Scriptures are breathed out by God. So not only is it inspiration, but it's expiration. All right, it's breathed out by God, and it's our very foundation for wisdom for salvation, for foundation and teaching, for a basis of reproof and correction, and for giving us training in righteousness that we would become people of God who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So that brings us to today. And I mentioned in weeks to come, I, I do want to kind of go back to the very beginning and take a more historical approach, maybe more of a lecture-based series, so as we walk through all the questions that you have about Scripture, uh, as far as the canon of Scripture, why certain books were chosen and not others, why we can trust it, and all these types of things. But I prayed and thought maybe for one more week, we would go into the Bible and find a specific passage that can help us to understand what the Bible is all about. Because if we look at what everything we've done since the beginning of the year, we know where God's Word is from, we know what God's Word is for, we know what God's Word is like, and we know what God's Word can offer. But that leads us to this question, how should we respond to this understanding of God's Word? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Because as we turn to the book of John, which is where we're going to be tonight, Jesus responds to this in a single word. Jesus says, abide. Abide in my word. You know what it is. You know where it's come from. You know what it offers. Okay, you know its very nature. Now abide in it. Abide in the word. 
So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the Gospel of John, okay? Fourth book of the New Testament, towards the right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 8, and I'm going to read just two verses, and we're just going to dive in word for word through the exposition of God's holy scriptures, and we're going to take a look at what this means. John chapter 8, verses 31, (coughs) excuse me, through 32, and if you would stand once again out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, again, we're going to be in John chapter 8, reading verses 31 through 32. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you and praise you for this day that you have made. And Father, we praise you that you are the author of truth, and that it is this truth that sets us free. Father, I pray in our short time together here tonight as we walk through your word and consider your truth here in John chapter 8, that you would help us to understand and be obedient to the concept of abiding in this truth, abiding in your word. Help us to be disciples of Christ who love the Bible because it is your truth and that we live by it every day of our lives. Father, we thank you and praise you and offer up all these words In the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. I love the word abide, and we're going to to spend a pretty good chunk of time here tonight talking about abide and what it is that Christ is telling us to do. But before we do that, I thought it would be appropriate for us for just a moment to get kind of the context of what we're looking at here in John chapter 8. So if you've ever read the Gospel of John, it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. It's one of my favorites in the New Testament, John, known as the gospel of love. He always uses these illustrations of God as love and God as light. Well, in the first seven chapters of John, much like the other gospels, over and over and over again, these gospel writers are presenting Jesus Christ as the one that everybody's been waiting for, the chosen Messiah. And they're, and they're, show, they're showing in the first seven chapters here of John. Okay, John is showing you the claims of Jesus as the Messiah and then the miracles that back up those claims. So for seven chapters, we see over and over and over again, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And then you get to chapter 8, and Jesus is saying, okay, now you know who I am. If you truly believe in me, There are going to be some signs that show the the proof of your faith in me. And he also uses this chapter to warn Israel and and say to Israel, if you reject me as the Messiah, here's the consequences that are going to take place because you've been waiting for me all this time and you say you want the Messiah, but I'm here and you don't believe in me because if you did believe in me, as we'll see right here, you would abide in my word. You would know the word and the word would set you free. And so that's what Jesus Christ is pointing to as we get here to this context in John chapter 8. So before we go any further, he uses this word abide. What does it mean? It's not the only time that he uses abide. Uh, my, my life passage is in John chapter 15 where Jesus talks about this illustration of the vine and the branches. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. 
So what does it mean to abide? Well, I think maybe a helpful way to define the word abide is to certainly give some, some synonyms that would fit as a fill-in-the-blank for abide. And a, and a couple I think that would be great would be to remain in, to lean into, to hold on to, to trust with all of your might and, 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 and look for that support to abide. To abide. You know, I am not by any stretch of the imagination a Greek scholar, and anybody who knows me knows as much as I have loved my three and a half years at seminary, I've struggled with the original languages of Greek and Hebrew more than than just about anyone else. I love systematic theology, but you put Greek in front of me, and I understand the expression, it's all Greek to me, all right, because it's not easy for me to understand. But one of the words that I learned long ago that has always stuck with me is this word called pastuo, pastuo, and it comes from the word believe in the most famous passage of the scriptures, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life, depending on your translation. So that that Greek word pastuo has the idea of not just believing with your mind, but believing into Jesus. It's this lifelong transformation where you're trusting and leaning into and basing your life upon Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be a disciple. And can I tell you an illustration that helped me to best understand this? And anybody who lives or has spent any time in Excelsior, Georgia, knows me as the boy with the 200-pound dog. Okay, most of you remember that dog when I was the youth pastor here. I always had the dog around me. The dog's name was Sarge. He was a 200-pound English Mastiff. And my dog knew how to abide for several reasons. Number one, he, he thought he was a 200-pound teddy bear, a lap dog. All right, so basically every single time that I was home, and especially if I was in the kitchen and if I was standing up, leaning against the counter, or if I was sitting on the ground, this is what he would do. It was almost like a dump truck. He would see where I was, he would kind of back up three steps, and then he would just put all of his weight on me at one time. He learned to abide in me. But not only physically abide, But he also abided in me as the great provider for everything that he needed. In fact, I thought about this the other day when I was, um, you know, Ashley and I had just gotten married and we were going to visit my my sister in Richmond, Virginia. And my sister, very loving and uh, very patient woman, allowed me to actually bring my dog on the trip. And not many people invite a 200-pound dog into their house, but she invited Sarge into the house for the weekend. And one thing that Sarge did was he, he refused to leave my side. When I went into the bathroom and shut the door, he'd whimper at the door. Now there's five or six other adults very capable of pouring him a bowl of food, but he knew who his provider was, and he learned to abide. And and, and how much more should we abide in the Lord Jesus Christ? How much more should we be following him every single time and in every single place and in every single way, following him the way that dog followed me, trusting and obeying and abiding. That's what it means to abide. So if, if Jesus Christ is not here physically, okay, we see in the scriptures, all right, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and after a, a short season where he uh, made himself physically uh, visible to the world, of course, we know that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and the Father sent down the Holy Spirit at the time of Pentecost, and the church was established. So Jesus is not physically present with us. He is spiritually present with us. But how do we abide in someone that we can't see? We abide in His Word. 
because His Word has remained with us. And His Word is as fresh and as new and as true now as it has ever been. We need to abide in the Word. And how do we do that? Well, I'm going to mention this several times here tonight. All right, Four ways in which we abide in the Word. We read it. We meditate on it. We obey it. And we share it. All right, it's not the last time you're going to hear that here tonight. We read it, we meditate on it, we obey it, and we share it. That's how we abide in the Word. But when we do abide in the Word, there are three things that we can find according to the truth of this passage. And so, number one, if we abide in the Word doing those four things that I just mentioned, we will find a foundation for discipleship. If you abide in God's Word, you will find a foundation for discipleship. Listen to verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had obeyed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. <clears throat> Here's an interesting fact. We call ourselves Christians, right? Meaning that we belong to the Christ. As Christians, we're members of a church. Okay, we may call ourselves Baptists, but... Before we're Baptists, we're Christian. That's who we are. Denomination comes second. Allegiance to Jesus Christ comes first. That's who we are. But do you know this? In the Bible, how many times is the word Christian mentioned in the New Testament? Three. Only three times, two of those three in the book of Acts, is the word Christian mentioned at all. However, the word disciple is mentioned more than 260 times in the New Testament. When you see that word listed that many times, that should say to you as it does to me, that's pretty important to God. God wants us to get this, this understanding of disciple down. He wants us to understand what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I think it's gotten so easy to say that we're Christian, that we come to a church, that we sit down on Sundays and hear a sermon, maybe throw a few bucks in the offering plate, Maybe pray a few words to the Lord and go home and go about the rest of our lives. But what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, here's what I love about um, our mission statement here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. And I actually read a book recently that fits hand in glove with our mission statement. So let me start with the mission statement. If you're not familiar with it, I, I introduced it to us our, my very first day as the pastor here back in August. We said that Cedar Street Baptist Church is a place where heads, hearts, and hands are being transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was so important to me from day one to present this new mission statement so that we would understand that our calling as Christians is not just to sit in the pew, is not just to, to be a part of the Sunday morning worship service, but that we're being transformed. We're being made into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, this is pretty neat. The other day I was reading a book uh, called Disciple Shift. All right, it's written by a Christian author named Jim Putnam who is talking about new strategies for discipleship in the church. I've learned a lot. Hopefully, we'll be able to implement some of these ideas. <clears throat> and in this book, Discipleship, here's how he defines a disciple of Jesus Christ. He says, a disciple is someone who is following Christ, is being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. All right, now think about our mission statement and that definition just like this. All right? A disciple is someone who's following Christ, okay? You understand who he is with the mind. Being changed by Christ, 
He's changing our hearts. And then being committed to the mission of Christ, he's opening up our hands to reach out to the rest of the world. That's what a disciple is all about. Maybe taking at this from another angle, I love this as another great way to describe what it means to be a disciple. Another Christian author named Tim Elmore says in the Gospels, there's these four progressive stages of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. First, there's come and see. That's the curiosity stage. Then there's come and follow. That is the commitment stage. Then there's come and surrender. That's the conviction stage. And then there's come and multiply. That's the commissioning stage where we're making disciples who make disciples and the church is growing and growing and growing and the kingdom of God is expanding as we wait upon the second coming of Jesus Christ. These are just different ways to look at what a disciple is, but what's the source? How do we become this disciple? Abiding in the Word of God. It's where we go and it's what we do when we want to follow Christ. We want to be changed by Christ, and we want to obey the mission of Christ. We meditate and read and obey and share His Word. Okay, this is what Jesus says in this passage. If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. A way that we can know a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who's committed to not only just saying, I believe that's the Word of God, the Bible says that I believe that that settles it for me, Amen? It's not someone who just says that, but it's someone whose life bears fruit and truth that comes from that, that you're abiding in this, that you're reading it, meditating on it, being changed by it, that even for those of you in this church, and there's so much faithful testimony to the Lordship of Christ in this room tonight, and I'm so grateful for your walking, talking, living, breathing testimonies. But abiding in Jesus Christ and abiding in His Word means that for those of you who've been walking with Jesus for 50 and 60 plus years, that even this year, 2017, you ought to be able to look at where you started this year and where you ended this year and say, I really grew this year in my knowledge and in my maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. Because that maturity, that growth, that transformation never changes. And it happens when we abide in the Word. So number one, if we abide in the Word, we will find a foundation for discipleship. But number two, if we abide in the Word, we're also going to find a focus on truth. Let's look at uh, the first part of verse 32. Of course, verse 31 ends with, if you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples. And the first part of verse 32, Jesus says, and you will know the truth. You will know the truth. I mean, listen to this simple equation that Jesus is presenting with us, or presenting to us. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. If you are a disciple of Christ, you will abide in His Word. And if you abide in His Word, you will know the truth at its foundational source. You will know the truth at its foundational source. I said that today was a special day for me because today's the day we dedicated my baby girl. And today's the day that we stood up and and, uh, promised to her and to all of you that Ashley and I are going to raise our daughter according to the Holy Scriptures. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I did not reach out to my entire family. Most of my family that lives up north, uh, distance-wise, really didn't have an opportunity to come down on short notice. But there are some that I know that were not here today, not because they didn't know, but even if they did know, would not have come because... They don't believe that that book is total truth. They're not living according to the standards of that truth. 
And they don't want to sit in a place and hear it read and try to believe that any of what I've just been reading here tonight is actually truth. They don't believe that's the foundation of truth. And I'm going to tell you why. People do not believe in this truth because if it's true, it means that they've got to change something about their own lives. And most people don't want to do that. Because truth is so convicting. All right, This truth is not just to inform us. It's to change us from the inside out. And the more that we know it, the more that we know truth, the more that we know something that's not true. All right, I've mentioned this illustration before, but I think it fits perfectly with our message here tonight. Uh, the United States Bureau of Engraving and Imprinting. That's the place where all of our pocket money is printed. Okay, the U.S. Mint, of course, makes the coinage, but the uh, U.S. Bureau of Engraving and Printing prints billions and billions of dollars of actual currency of ones, fives, tens, twenties, fifties, hundreds, and for those of you who are very fortunate, larger denominations than hundreds, which I've never actually seen with my own hands before. I know, they, I know it exists, but I've not seen. It's like a UFO. All right? But uh, what happens, all right, the Secret Service is responsible every year for finding counterfeit money because counterfeit money is floating around everywhere. So when the Secret Service is training their special agents to go and seek out counterfeit money, what do they do? Well, I tell you what they don't do. They don't sit them in a conference room and lay out on a table all the type of counterfeit money that's out there so they can spend hours studying and looking at all this counterfeit money. You know what they do? They spend hour after hour after hour making their agents study the real thing. They hold a real $1 bill and a real $5 bill and a real $10 and $20 and $50 and $100 bill and they make them study it to such a degree that anything that doesn't quite add up to that currency, they can sniff it out as a counterfeit just like that. That's what we're called to be as Christians, to know this word in such a way that when the world tries to present us something contrary to this book, we can see it coming. Because the devil, who is very real, he's not going to present something that is completely opposite of the truth. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take the truth and he's going to twist it just enough that it sounds like and looks like truth, but in reality could be, could be the farthest thing from it. How, would it. how is it that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil? It's to know the truth, the foundation that comes from the Word of God, the focus on truth. If we don't abide in God's Word, you know where we're going to find truth? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna find counterfeit versions of it on CNN, on Fox News, in Hollywood, and for my generation specifically, social media. All right, You spend five minutes scrolling up and down Facebook, you're going to see a world that wants to tell you what truth is. All right, Most people on my Facebook feed, they feel like they're teachers and their Facebook page is the classroom. Pull up a chair, take out a notebook, because I'm fixing to teach you truth. Well, most of the time, their truth's a little bit different than this truth. And how do I know the difference? Abide in this, not your Facebook feed. I used to have a professor that said, get off of Facebook and get your face in the book. And I believe that. I'm not saying that social media is evil. It can be a wonderful tool. It's one of the primary ways in which we can reach the world today. All right, Because that's where the world is. But I am saying this. Let's do get off Facebook and get our face in the book that we may know the truth 
and we may have our focus on the truth if we abide in God's Word. So, if you abide in God's Word, you're going to find a foundation for discipleship, a focus on truth. And third and finally, you're going to find a freedom from slavery. A freedom from slavery. Listen to the final part here. I'll, I'll go back and <coughs> connect the dots here. Jesus says, if you abide in my Word, you're truly my disciples. You will know the truth. And finally, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free free. When I think about freedom from the slavery of sin, because that's what Jesus says, if we were to take, take some more time and walk through the rest of John chapter 8, we would see that Jesus basically says that you're in slavery to sin. And this word is what delivers you from that slavery. How is it that coming under the, the slavery of Christ, which is the word of God, actually brings freedom? And how living for ourselves actually brings slavery. It's the great paradox of the Christian faith. I think one reason this is true is that we don't understand the concept of discipline. All right, think about this in our own lives. I'll give you three examples. Number one, uh, and I'll pick on Coach Tillman here because God has blessed him with the gift of playing the piano. All right, I would guess, and I've never talked with Coach Tillman about how many hours he spent in his childhood and his early adult years practicing playing the piano but I would guess it was hours upon hours upon hours of practice. Now, to the world who's never played the piano, that looks like slavery. You've got to sit down on a cold wooden bench and hour after hour pound those keys until your fingers bleed and you do it over and over and over and over again. That doesn't seem like freedom. That seems like slavery. But that type of discipline brings ultimate freedom because now he can sit at a piano, he can look at the keys, and he can just play. He has freedom to use the piano for what the piano was created for, to make beautiful music. All right, before we started our service here tonight, Jody led the choir in practice, right? You are practicing singing with your voices. Now, you're not just going to show up the day of the cantata and sing. You're going to practice. Jody's going to lead you in practice week after week, week after week, practicing, practicing, practicing. Why? Is it slavery? No, it brings freedom. The more that you practice, the more you're free to sing the way God created your voice to to sing, the way it was created to be heard, this beautiful music that God provides for us. That's the beauty of discipline. Let me give you a third one. And and as much as I know this up here, I've I've not truly submitted to this in my own life, I'll be honest, the practice of diet and exercise. All right? We we all know the truth. We want to lose weight. I'm not sitting there wondering, how do I lose weight? How do I lose weight? Diet and exercise. It's a proven equation every time. But sometimes eating foods that we don't want to eat and exercising at times of the day that we don't want to exercise, it feels like slavery. But what happens when we do it? It it frees us up to, to, to have optimal health to where our physical bodies are doing what they're created to do, Right? So the world sees that and says, I don't want to sit at a piano all day and practice. I don't want to be in a choir and sing all day. I don't want to eat healthy food, and I don't want to exercise. I want to spend my time doing what I want to do. And when we live that way, we have personal freedom, but we're slaves to our own desires. Now, equate that illustration to the Word of God. All right, When we abide in God's Word... The Bible does use very strong language. It says we are slaves to Christ. 
but it's the only slavery that brings true freedom. Because if Jesus Christ is the foundation of truth and we belong to Him and it is He who created us, that He's the one who knows ultimately why we were created in the first place. And when we abide in Him, we have the freedom to be the very best that God created us to be. That's what it means to abide and to have a freedom from slavery. So, if we abide in God's Word and find a foundation for discipleship and a focus on truth and a a freedom from slavery, that leads me to our concluding question that I pose to all of you as much as I pose to myself. Okay? In, In conclusion, I want us all to think about this question. Are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ who both knows and has been set free by the truth of God's Word? Okay, for the note takers, let me read it one more time. Are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ who both knows and has been set free by the truth of God's Word? Now, at the very beginning of our message, I mentioned there's four ways that we can abide. And so I'm going to close here with words of application, specifically talking about those four things. Because if we don't leave here uh, wanting to put these, these truths into practice, then we've left that transformation in our mind and it will never get to our hearts and to our hands. All right, so let's go back to those four things. We said to, to read it, to meditate on it, to obey it, and to share it with others. So read it. Well, simply put, find a Bible reading plan and find a time and a place where you'll most likely be obedient to that reading plan. Again, let me go back to this idea of slavery. It's not legalistic. I'm not saying if you do not read the Bible at 6.30 every morning in your bedroom, then you are disobeying God. No, that's not what we're trying to do here. But a goal without a plan is a wish. A goal without a plan is a wish. And so knowing who you are, the best possible time of the day, the best possible place where you'll find peace and quiet, and the plan that will help you to stay focused on getting through the entire Word of God at a pace that works for you, that will help you to stay abiding in God's Word. So we have to read it. And let's find a plan to read it. Okay, number two, meditate on it. This is the big one. I know many people who have Bible reading plans and they check them off every day. You get through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and you just keep running down. But through the course of the day, it's... uh, it gets to a point where you've never stopped and meditated on the Word of God. All right? It's got to be digested. We've got to ruminate on it. We've got to chew on it. All right? I know this is not the most pleasant illustration, but chewing the cud. This is what the Bible talks about. All right? I know it's kind of disgusting, but you swallow it and then bring it back up again and chew on it. All right? That's what the cows do, right? Well, that's what we're called to do. You digest it as you're reading it, but then the Holy Spirit brings it back to you again, and you just chew on it. You begin to think about it, and God begins through the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life. I can't tell you how many times, even in the first year I owned a Bible, where I didn't really realize what I was reading. But as I began to read it, God would put me in life situations where it was like everything I was reading was coming to life, and God was connecting the dots. But we have to put the dots in there for God to connect them. So after we read it, we've got to meditate on it. Take some time. It'd be better for you to read one chapter of the Bible and spend half your time praying over it and thinking about it than to plow through five chapters of the Bible just so you can say you read five chapters. 
The key is to meditate on the Word of God. Third is obey it. Third is obey it. All right? We're moving down from the head to the heart, and we're starting to get to the hands here. All right? The book of James tells us to be doers of the Word. Somebody who doesn't do what the Word says is somebody who looks in the mirror and then turns away and completely forgets what they look like. All right? Let us not be those people. Let us say that when we read the Word of God, we're going to be committed to obey what it is that we read. All right? It's through the trust and obedience that true transformation continues to take place. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the transformation in us, but He is a person who indwells us, and we can quench or grieve the Holy Spirit by disobeying Him. So as we read the Word of God, and the Spirit of God begins to convict us of things in our life that we need to change or do, if we don't do those things, we start to quiet and quench and grieve the Spirit, and we halt that opportunity for transformation. All right, so we need to obey the Word. And fourth and finally, we need to share it with others. All right, again, this moves from the head to the heart. Now we're full-blown in the hands right now, okay? When we know God's Word and it's transformed us, it will be a natural extension of our lives to share it with other people. I'm not saying that we turn into to open-air preachers and we take the Bible and stand on every street corner and bang people over the head with it, although God may be calling some of us in this room to do some open-air preaching because people need to hear the Word. But what I am saying is however you, God uses you as an instrument to share it, it may start with a word of testimony of what God's done in your life. It may come with sharing a verse or a passage that you've read in your personal devotional time. Or for some of you, maybe a life verse that you've dedicated your life to. I shared mine tonight in John 15 that Jesus is the vine and I am the branch and I'm to abide in Him to bear good fruit. Whatever the case may be, from the head to the hearts to the hands, we have to read it. We have to meditate on it. We have to obey it. And to continue to make disciples, we have to share it with other people. And that's what it means to abide in God's Word, where we find that foundation for discipleship, that focus on truth, and that freedom from slavery. I'm so grateful to be with you here tonight. I pray that you'd come back in future Sunday nights, because now that we've talked about all that the Bible says, we're going to go back to the very beginning and see how all this was put together. And I want to continue this journey with all of you. So thank you for being here. And I I pray that we'll continue this journey soon. But having said that, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you and praise you for your, your word. Because your word is truth. And gives us this foundation for discipleship. It uh, gives us this focus on what is real and true. And understanding this truth sets us free. Father, I pray for everyone in this room and the families they represent. I pray, Father, that those that do know the Lord Jesus Christ would come into a greater understanding and relationship through abiding in the Word. For anyone in this room that may not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that tonight would be a night where they made things right with the Lord and dedicated their life to knowing Him by abiding in His Word. Father, be with us as a people here at Cedar Street Baptist Church who desire to see your kingdom of God grow. Help us to be people who abide in your word, who are seen by your son as a true disciple, as people who know the truth, and as a people who've been set free from the slavery of sin because the truth dwells in us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. God's people said.
Amen.